Not Just Football with Cam Hayward is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. You bet, you get with Caesar's rewards. Must be 21 or older. But to me, you know, I, I think O-Lyman, man, it's just one of those positions. You got a lot of meathead guys that just love to take shots and that kind of thing. So I think, I think it determined. I think, you know, probably if you go like inside to out, the dirtiest groups, probably those centers and guards. I mean, they're, they're, they love to just take some nasty shots. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Not Just Football with Cam Hayward. I, of course, am your host, number 97, Cam Hayward. As always, my buddy and longtime friend and co-host, uh, Hayden Walsh, is here. We have a special guest today. He played for the Bengals. He won a Super Bowl with the Rams, which is more important. Andrew Whitworth, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, Cam. Good to see you, man. Appreciate you coming on. Oh, of course, man. Hey, look, man, a legend like you, I couldn't. I, I was excited when I heard the opportunity. So I'm happy to sit on here and rap with you for a little bit. Well, I appreciate you saying that because, like, for all those years, we were always – enemies on the field and then you went to the Rams and won a Super Bowl so you finally made the right decision right that's right you were okay with that and I beat the Bengals to do it so I'm sure that made it even better for you as well if you had to support it so uh yeah man dude a lot of legendary battles and great teams back you know in that AFC North and man I'll remember a lot of those games for forever man there's a lot of special battles that's for sure y'all were an amazing team defensively for sure and, and uh some of the best battles I had you know, with you and James and, and the guys over the years, man, I'll never forget them. Okay, so let's talk about that. Like, what was it like going against Lamar and, and James Harrison all those times? You know, I mean, James was just always so funny. because You know, it's, it's uh, you know, a lot of the, the talk of Debo and just who he was and all that, but, like, the style he played with, you know, he never spoke to me, though. So it's like we battle – and like you'd never talk, and he would, we would just get over the game. And then after the game, he'd be like the kindest dude ever, like, "Hey, what's up, big dog? Like, give me a hug." But during right. the game, like it was just like ferocious, and he's just smashing you every play, relentless, all of that, man. And then he came to Cincinnati, you know, obviously for one year. It was really cool to be around him that year. But man, some legendary games of just. I always say when I go back and think of like the guys I got to play in my career, like you. You play some special guys that you could say, hey, man, in certain situations, they're good players, like whether it be against, the, you know, rushing the passer or playing the run. But I always put James and Terrell Suggs, in my opinion, in a pretty rare category in the sense that they played every down of NFL football uh, the same way. They were dominant in the run game. They dominated in the pass game. Just very few guys like that that dominate every facet of football, really, and were really good at all the above. Yeah, it's funny you bring that up because, like, I got to thinking about one of the times we played you, and it's not even about James. It's about Troy Palomalo. And, like, I think – I don't know what happened. There was something dirty that happened that just set Troy off at the end of the game, and we were already losing. And, you know, to get Troy upset was kind of, like, crazy. And then I remember I think Doma Pecco went in the game and said something to Troy and was like, Troy, that's not like you. And you just saw Troy go back to, like – being like the stoic Troy, yeah. Like you bring up bring up those like those battles between the Bengals and the Steelers. Like they are some unique games if you if you really watch them. Oh, they are. I mean, the physicality in those games was so rare. I mean, I, I mm. used to tell people there was multiple years that we both knocked each other out of contention going on the playoffs just from the physicality of like we'd play the last game of the year on Sunday Night Football or something. And end up like, hey, man, nobody's got any starters for the next Sunday to be able to play in the playoffs. <laughs> it's just – it was unbelievable. But those games were fun to watch, and there and there were yeah. amazing battles. I mean, you know, to think of even earlier in my career, you know, some of the games that, you know, we had a chance to, to play for the division to end the season multiple times. I mean, getting knocked out of the playoffs my rookie year with Antonio Holmes catching a bomb in overtime in like 06. Uh, you know, it's just all kinds of legendary wins and losses that uh, – you know, regardless of what side you ended up on, you're like, man, what a football game, physicality, the passion, the energy. It was uh, always one of the best going when it was Steelers-Bengals. So you, you, we talked, we're going to get to your Rams time, but I first want to sum up your Bengals career. And um, how I think for me, really, it's about, I learned a lot of things. I mean, for me, I came up in high school. I was a part of an amazing program. I was 58-2 and two in high school, won like three state championships, 
uh, played like top teams in Texas and Mississippi and everywhere else. You know, I lived in Louisiana. And then going to college, I was part of being the winningest group in LSU's history at that time. Now it's been beaten since the program blew up, but won a national championship with Nick Saban, you know, had a lot of success. And then to come to somewhere in Cincinnati where I think they'd had one winning season in like 20 something years when I got there, uh, it was just, it was something I had never been around, you know, and, you know, regardless of who you are and what you think, when you lose a lot, it, it sets in and it changes people. And it's, and it's hard to not get kind of, gruff and a little just you know a, you know angry at the world a little bit when you're putting in that kind of time and effort and and you're not winning and so being in those locker rooms it was it was tough to overcome like this mentality that was kind of there regardless of how good players were they had a little bit of what I would call like a losing mentality or a you know protect yourself mentality like I'm going to play good but I get it we'll probably lose and so over the time I was there to really come from that to start to, you know, we had a rough start the first couple of years I was there and then to, you know, go to the playoffs six times to win a couple of division champ or a few division championships. Um, we never found that playoff win, but we had a lot of success and we really changed what that franchise was for the last 20 years into a team that was competitive. And we won a lot of NFL football games. You know, I think people forget Andy Dalton and his you know first five years in Cincinnati. I mean, they won almost 60, I mean, right, I think it was 59, 58 games out of those five years. I mean, they won a lot of football games. So I think to me, it's it's uh, it's one of those things where I'm always like, man, I wish we'd have had that playoff win to kind of submit, you know, our, our run to go to the Super Bowl and get a chance. But I'm really proud of what we did, taking that franchise from where it was to becoming a perennial competitor and somebody that every year, every team, regardless of what they thought from the narrative ab abroad, uh, that team was really good, and, and we had a chance to win a lot of football games and have some success. So I think that to me, it was more about the battle and the journey of trying to find a way to become a winner. Uh, that's how I kind of sum that time up. I love that you bring that up because, like, it gets there's a narrative out there that if you don't win the Super Bowl, you're not a good team. And there are so many good players and good teams. You know, Andy Dalton, you know, you had A.J. Green, Geno Atkins on the other side. Like, you know, Pac-Man Jones, um, you know, Clinton Bowling, who I love going against, you know, just because yep. we had to play against each other in middle school to high school. Um, you know, I always enjoyed the, that time playing against y'all because you guys were a good team. Um, and I always thought that Marvin Lewis uh, did a really good job coaching. And I yeah. think sometimes, you know, you lose a game and it defines the entire team. But, man, there, there are some good teams out there that don't always get the respect that they should. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, you really look at it. I mean, there's a lot of coaches, a lot of teams that you can say that about. But I look at Marvin Lewis to to think of what he took over when he became the head coach there with no scouting department, with some of the limitations that franchise had to becoming a coach who won multiple, you know, like three or four division championships, went to the playoffs six, seven times in his career. You know, it's like everyone wants to label him for what he didn't do. And it's like, oh, you didn't find a way to win a playoff game. But anybody that's been in the NFL long enough or been around it knows that in playoffs, one, you got to catch some breaks and the ball's got to go your way. But mainly you got to be healthy. If you don't have a healthy football team, you look every year, the teams that are winning the Super Bowl or they're making the long runs are either getting healthy and getting some guys back because they've been unhealthy or they are one of the most healthy teams in the league that year who actually have kept some of their stars. And that's just a fact. I mean, it just it is what it is in the playoffs. You need your guys to win the game. And so I think for him to be labeled as like, oh, man, he was just perennial loser because he didn't lose. A, he didn't win a playoff game. It's crazy to me because of what he took over and what he was able to accomplish and it's also been unfortunate to me that he's never gotten another shot because of it, because what he overcame there, uh, when you look at some of these coaches that have gotten these second chances, uh, it's hard to imagine anybody deserve one more than him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't understand. He doesn't have a second job and, you know, he, he's done so much uh, right that you would think he'd get another whack at it. Uh, I like how you put a bow on Cincinnati. Uh, take us through that process of, you know, moving over to, you know, L.A. and going to the Rams? Well, I didn't mind trading in all my winter jackets. I'll tell you that. <laughs> much, all right. Uh, no, but, you know, it, it was a lot of fun. I mean, to me, you know, it was one of those times where it was tough on me and the family to change something we'd always known um, and what we were invested in. I mean, that city, like I used to always say, like, 
when I chose to leave Cincinnati, it's like some people, you know, coin it as like, oh man, it's free agency. You go choose like where you can get the most money or where you can do whatever. Like at that point in my career, it wasn't even about that. I mean, in the city of Cincinnati, I'd been there so long and, and been a part of that community, invested our family into that community that, I mean, you I basically chose to leave comfort. Like, I mean, there's nothing I could do. Like I could not practice if I wanted to, because I've been there forever. Like, you know, I could go anywhere I wanted to eat, do anything I wanted to do. Like I was choosing to leave my comfort place. And so for us and the family, it was a tough decision. It really was. And unfortunately, we just felt like Cincinnati had kind of made their choice the year before when they drafted the young kids they drafted. And, and I had kind of asked for an extension and they said, no, let's play it out. We want to see if we like these young kids. And so a year later, when it's time to sit down, it's like, all right, I'm here. I'm a free agent. Like, I'm going to at least listen to people because you guys chose not to listen to me a year ago. So, uh, and then that came about and it was like, man, it wasn't even close. You know, I mean, Cincinnati kind of was offering me to basically stick around for a year type of contract, you know, if you want to end your career here. And everyone else was like, you know, it's like, it's like pursuit, right? Everyone else is like begging me to come there and what, what could we possibly put on the table to get you to leave? And so I, I thought like for us, it was, man, it was like, man, it's the difference of kind of feeling taken for granted mm-hmm. and people being like, man, you would mean everything to us if you show up in our door. And so I was blown away at how many offers and teams wanted me. And uh, at the end of the day, it kind of came down to a relationship that, you know, Jay Gruden, when he was in Cincinnati, um, had tried to hire Sean. So I'd met him and then I'd met him at a couple of events and stuff. And we had some you know, mutual friends. And so I had a lot of respect for Sean and who he was just as a dude, not, you know, much less about football. And so I thought it'd be super cool to be, you know, older than my head coach uh, and somebody that's kind of more of a peer and a buddy uh, to be somebody you're doing something with. And, and it's become one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. And well, it really is one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. And, uh, you know, my wife and I couldn't be more happy with it. And it's been an awesome ride. That's for sure. Who were the other teams, Andrew, that we're, that you might've gone to? Yeah. So I, I, I originally, when I started free agency, wanted to go to New York. So I, you know, at that time, Eli Manning was there still, you know, they had struggled a little bit with Eric Flowers was a young player, had not played very well at left tackle so far. And they didn't know really if he'd be the answer. Um, and so I, I had talked to Eli, knew him well, and I, I just knew what a competitor their team was every year. And so I was like, man, you know, great running game, play action. That's just my style. So, um, I'd love to go play there. And, and they weren't, they kind of decided that they thought they'd give Eric another couple of years to see if he could shake out. Um, the Jets made me an offer. Carolina was in there and they ended up going with Khalil. Um, San Diego at that time, they were still there. Um, you know, it, it, you know, we had talked to them a bunch, but Minnesota was probably the most aggressive uh, because mm. of Zimmer and I's relationship. Uh, you know, they were really aggressive. And then Denver, Denver was somewhere I live. You know, a lot of people don't realize I live in the off seasons. I would live in, in Colorado. I had a home there. I like to train in the altitude. Um, so I'd spend my summers like six, seven weeks in the altitude training. And I loved being up in the mountains. So I was very interested in that one. Um, you know, I still give, you know, anybody I ever meet that knows Elway, I still give them crap because they, they pulled their offer like right when we were trying to kind of in, in the middle of trying to figure it out. So uh, that one hurt me, though. I would have lo- loved to live there. But L.A. was kind of always in my mind. And weirdly enough, you know, life shakes out in different ways. My wife and I actually decided instead of getting married in Louisiana um, because she was a mis- former Miss Louisiana, like a news anchor, all these things there. I was, a, you know, an athlete there, obviously in college and high school. We just didn't want to live, there, like get married there because we kind of felt like we wanted to go away and have a small family wedding. So we actually got married in L.A. Uh, we just randomly picked like a resort, you know, like, Hey, let's go out to LA. It's beautiful weather. Let's pick a place out there, take our you know closest family member and friends and go get married. So randomly enough, we'd gotten married there. So we were kind of like, man, what a cool, like out of nowhere, never thought we'd live and play here. Uh, and so we ended up, you know, obviously to us, it was like, man, that'd be kind of cool. It's a place we got married and the kids could, you know, they obviously weren't around then. So it'd be cool for them to have that story that that's where we ended up. So uh, all those things kind of played into it and, and it ended up being that that was kind of where we felt home. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And you just wound up on the Super Bowl winning team. That, that, yeah. It's <laughs> absolutely crazy. Yeah. It's a wild, a wild, wild years. That's for sure. I mean, to think, you know, I can remember literally can like, and you know, all the motions you go through as a player and, and whether it's through contracts or guys coming and going on your team, I can remember I had a cool moment actually this, this, uh, preseason, 
I went back to call the Bengals Rams preseason game. They played like uh, week two, I think, in the preseason. Mm. And uh, I have not been back to Cincinnati since I left in free agency. So one way or another, just we sold our house right after we left and just never made it over that way. And obviously it was like kind of a fresh wound for a little while. And then it just kind of played out with our kids and everything else. We never made it back. So I go back for the preseason game and I go to dinner the night before with Sean and Matthew Stafford and some of the guys, Raheem Morris. Uh, I think Kirk Herbstreet was in town and joined us. It's kind of a group of us went to go eat. And I got to share with the guys at the, at the restaurant. We went to the precinct, Jeff Ruby spot. And that was the last time I was in Cincinnati is the night before I signed my contract with the Rams and flew out to LA. I took my family to the precinct and we sat in a private room and kind of waited on calls to come in and make a decision. And so I shared with them. I said, look, dude, you never know what happens. Five years ago, I sat in this room and I never knew where my life would go. And then here I am back here five and a half years later, and I've won a Super Bowl. I've gotten to have the relationship with all you guys, man. You just you never know where life goes, man. Got to keep betting on yourself, believing on in yourself, uh, keeping your head up and uh, letting it go, man. Explain that Super Bowl run to us. What, what really stood out to you in that mo- those moments? I think it's just uh, a lot of things that are surreal to me now. I mean, I, you know, it's 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 crazy to think how things all play out, fall into place. But mm-hmm. the reality of uh, getting Odell to join us and Von Miller in the middle of that season, I mean, it's crazy. You know, it's just random small world stuff. But like Von Miller and I, when he was a young player, I used to think he was such a good player that when I'd see him in the offseason stuff, man, we'd always talk about how cool it would be to play together and all those type things. And when we signed him, that was the first thing we text about. It's like, dude, we've talked about this forever. How crazy is this? And then Odell, he had been hitting me up for years, like just, hey, man, I want to come to L.A. You know, he obviously lived here in the offseasons, always wanting to be here. And so for him to end up here too, it, was just, it, it really is kind of one of those moments where you don't know what's going to happen. But when they joined us midseason last year, I was like, man, something's kind of falling into place. It's just meant to be. And I don't know what it is, but it's meant to be. And then, obviously, you get into the playoffs um, and, you know, things go kind of how you would thought they would go, like the outlook of what you think is going to happen. Like I kind of thought San Francisco, how they were built, uh, you know, just like us. We've struggled with them. I thought they match up really well with Green Bay. And I was like, man, that's, that's going to be a tough one. For Green Bay to win. So when I was watching San Francisco play the Cowboys, I was like, man, if they find a way to beat the Cowboys, Green Bay cannot like this matchup because this isn't a team that like they're going to match up well with. And so when we end up going out, though, for the uh, NFC Championship, we're playing the Niners. Bengals Chiefs is right before our game. And like I was like late to warm ups because I'm watching like the Bengals Chiefs game. Like I'm like, I got to watch this kick. Are they really going to the Super Bowl? And then as soon as I saw it go in, I take off running to join the team for warmups. And I like I just played that game with like, dude, I'm about to play, you know, all out because there is no way that the Bengals are going to the Super Bowl <laughs> and I'm not going to be there. Like, there's no way. I don't care what happens in this game. Something's going to shake out where I'm playing the Bengals in the Super Bowl. And sure enough, uh, it happened, man. And what what a special couple weeks. That's for sure. Oh, man. So everybody's seen the clip. When did you know you were going to retire, you know, right after the Super Bowl? I knew, you know, writing's on the wall again. And so to me, I always said, you know, when I was in Cincinnati, I had had the deal happen where they draft Cedric Abuehi and Jake Fisher, first round, second round, back-to-back tackles. Um, you know that's for you. Like, you, you know you know what, what the, you know, the story's going to be. And so – I kind of always said, look, I'm going to keep playing. And, and since I'd gotten to L.A., it really had been like, hey, man, you're the guy here. You're the captain. You're this and that. Um, and it always been that way. And they treated me amazing and always have. But I always was like, listen, one thing I'm not going to do is like I'm not going to go back to that kind of world where it, once it's like, hey, you're going to play for less. We want you to stay a little longer, blah, blah, blah. Like I've played enough. I've done enough. Like it's time to make it about the family and having a good time and us doing something where they don't have to worry about me on the football field. And so I'd kind of said, I'll never give in again on one of those situations. And so it really, when we got to the end of, you know, throughout this year, Joseph Noteboom was a guy who'd been playing, you know, when, when I'd missed a game or Rob Havenstein had missed a game during the seasons and done a really good job. And he was going to be a free agent. And I knew it was going to be a really tough decision for the team and for everyone on what to do. And so I kind of made a decision in the last, last couple games of the season. I was like, look, you know, I don't want to get into a situation like that again. You know, I've already kind of reduced my, my salary for this season to come back and play. 
and I won't do it again. And so I, I kind of told Melissa and I sat down and, and we decided, look, this is it. We make, we've made the playoffs. We're going to go after this playoff run. And uh, that, that's all she wrote. Like, it, it, it's enough. And so not that I felt like I needed to walk away or even that I couldn't play again. Just kind of felt like enough's enough and, and uh, let's make the decision to go on. And so uh, to get to have a chance to win that Super Bowl and then sit the kids down on the turf and, and kind of let them know uh, that's actually what's going to happen. We'd obviously discussed it as a family, just hadn't come to a final decision with them. Um, I think that was a really, really special moment that uh, hopefully they'll get to see since all the one good part of the media and the content and everything we have these days is they'll always have that video. So it'll be, it'll be mm-hmm. neat for them to be able to see it when they're older. and Maybe they understand it a little more. Man, it, it was an unbelievable moment. You being able to explain to them after the game, just being able to be that intimate in such a crazy setting, um, you know, I was actually at the Super Bowl and I'd saw you before and I'll say this, you are very humble because that's not the only thing you won. You won the Walter Payton Man of the Year, um, and you gave a hell of a speech, dude. Like, you know, for anyone who needed to hear that in that that auditorium and on TV, man, you touched a lot of people's uh, souls. And um, if you could just explain um, a little bit of your – I don't know if you have it off the cuff, but a little bit of your speech. Um, yeah. You know, because yeah, you, for sure. that thing really hit home. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, I've actually I've had the opportunity to speak a lot and do things. But, you know, obviously that situation is totally different. Uh, but I've always taken the approach of, uh, you know, just go with what's on your heart and on your mind and the right people who are meant to be listening and, and you know, are ready to listen will, will hear it. And the rest of them you can't control anyways. And so sometimes we get too anxious about saying the perfect thing. And really, as long as it's you and it's from the heart, that's all that really matters. And so. Uh, you know, that was part of the surrealness of the year. I mean, with a joining, you know, not just Von Miller joining us and Odell joining us and some of the things that all kind of played into the specialty of playing the Bengals in the Super Bowl. But one of the actual crazy moments that sums up your career and gave me that feeling of finality to my season and my career was Derek Barnes. And and that's why I felt like when I had that opportunity, like, hey, when they, they tell you, hey, you're one of the top people, you have a chance to win you know, you need to have a speech ready in case. And so when they said that, I was like, look, I'm just going to get up there and tell my story about Derek Barnes, because to me, that sums up really what life's all about. And, and uh, you know, it really brings my career in full circle. And the story is, is that Derek Barnes, uh, when he, when I was a rookie in the NFL and, and would go and do boys and girls club visits and different things in the community. Uh, he was one of the kids that was at the boys and girls club. And so I, I kind of struck up a friendship with him and some of his buddies. They were, you know, probably six to eight years old. And I'd go and throw the football with them and just spend my Tuesdays with them because I was a rookie in the league, never been to, you know, the Midwest in my life, you know, born and raised in Louisiana. I was bored and like, I was lonely myself, you know? And so I saw something in those kids and where they were in their hearts and, Um, just wanting people to hang out with them. And so we spent a lot of time together. And then sure enough, this year, year 16, you know, last season, uh, he comes up to me after a game, like running after me after a game. And I'm like, man, I do not know who this is. And I'm trying to think of every player I've played with, every coach, everything. Just like, man, I got to remember, like, is this an LSU kid? I don't remember him. And he runs up and immediately says, like, dude, don't try to figure out who I am because you're not going to remember it. He's like, but I'm Derek Barnes. Like, I, you, me and you used to hang out at the Boys and Girls Club in Cincinnati, Ohio, 16 years ago. And uh, it just, like, floored me. I was like, I, I, I remember asking our PR person after the game, like, what did I say? To, were you standing there? Like, did I, what did I say? Because I was, like, so blown away that I don't even remember what I really said. So I remember hugging him and just telling him, man, thank you for sharing that with me. But I, I can't remember anything else. But for him to come and just be like, hey, man, look, dude, I, I just wanted you like I've been like these last couple of years hoping you would hang on because I wanted to be able to show you like I, I made it to the NFL. Like I, like I was a little kid joking around about playing in the league at that time, but I actually made it. And uh, man, it was just such an emotional, emotional moment. And then to get to visit with him after that moment and kind of we kept in touch. Uh, man, it, just special. I, I, there's no bigger fan of Derek Barnes than me. That's for sure. Uh, I'm happy for him, man. I hope he has a great career, but I just, I wanted people to realize like we just never know the moment that an investment in somebody, a smile, a handshake, a hug, uh, just a a moment to encourage somebody. You never know how it's going to affect their life. 
uh, we never know the outcomes, man. So just live in the moment and, and make sure you don't miss those opportunities that you can make a difference for somebody. I love that. All right, people, we're brought to you by Caesar Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app ever, and honestly, the only one you need. It's not just about the big bonuses and boosts and promos that you get. It's the fact that every time you bet, whether you win or lose, you're earning towards the types of perks only Caesars can offer, free stays, concert tickets, bonuses, and more. That's because when you download the Caesar Sportsbook app, you become a Caesars Rewards member, and that means perks. Must be 21 or older to gamble. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-522-4700. Lions, Tigers, and tailgates. Oh, my. The college football season is always a great time of year. Besides the jerseys, the face paint, and foam fingers, there's the food. And nothing gets you more fired up for game day than Eckridge Smoked Sausage. They are naturally hardwood smoked and have the perfect blend of spices. From buffalo sausage dip to sausage chili mac and cheese, Eckridge Sausage is a quick way to bring flavor to your tailgate meals. Visit Eckridge.com for easy, one-of-a-kind sausage recipes. Eckridge, you do you. Switching gears a little bit, uh, you mentioned moments. Give me your welcome to the NFL moment. Oh, man. Uh, You know, I think probably there's a lot of them throughout your career. You probably get one way or another, but um, I think my own, my own like true personal playing in a game, welcome to the NFL moment. Uh, my first NFL start at left tackle, I played in a couple games uh, after Levi Jones got hurt in kind of a sub role uh, in Tampa Bay. I played Simeon Rice and uh, like probably played the last three quarters of that game after Levi got hurt. But the next week, my first NFL start was against the Carolina Panthers uh, Mike Rucker and Julius Peppers, who at that time, like they were crushing the league in sacks. Those two guys got after they had Chris Jenkins in the middle, who was an absolute monster. Uh, he was their three tech and man, he got after it. And that front was special. And so, uh, I can remember going to that game, your first NFL start, you're going to play Pep and Mike Rucker, who I think they had like 80 sacks at that time over the last four years or something between the two of them. And so I'm literally just like, all right, man, like, you know, you gotta be technically great. And so, Going to the game, it's going great, and and like games kind of played out how you'd hope it would as a young rookie left tackle. Like a lot of running games going well, you're not getting put in a lot of tough situations. Only a few third downs here, or there, and we get into the second half and get a lead. And so I start kind of like feeling a little confident. I got a little swag to me, you know, like all right, man, maybe I believe I belong. And so uh, we run a run play, and I catch Mike. Just I, I got him good. Like I got in there, got the hooks like pin him on the ground, kind of just fall all my weight on him. Like, yeah, you know, get up, just kind of talking trash. And so, you know, late fourth quarter, you know, four minute drill, I do it. I smack, I land on him, whatever. I'm feeling really good. And so I, I get to the play and the coach, I, you know, it was a good run. He's like, Hey, run it back. Same play. So I found out real quick about, you know, going against veteran D linemen that can sniff the same formation, same everything. I come off just like, oh, I'm going to smash this dude again. And, I mean, he humps me with an arm. And I don't, I still don't know how I landed, but I know I was looking up at the sky when it was over with. And he was blowing up the running back in the backfield. And I remember he just turned and looked at me, and he's like, you better calm down, Rook. And I was like, you know what? All right, I'm just going to block my guy from now on, and I'm going <laughs> to stay out of the trash-talking business as a rookie for right now. But that was kind of my, like, all right, like, you know, oh. don't get too far ahead of yourself moment. So, so the OC set you up, basically. Yeah, you know, you ran it back, same play, and I, I felt good about it right up until I didn't. That was the problem. Right up until I didn't, I felt great about it. Oh, oh yeah, I, I, I can attest to that. Like, you know, if, if, if a defense is losing and they keep running the same play, you're bound to take a shot to make sure that this same play is not working again. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> Ain't no doubt. Oh, okay. So, you know, I, I see that you're on TV now doing your thing. You're an analyst. You're breaking down tape. You're letting people know about the O-line and D-line game. You know, explain to me how hard it is to judge O-linemen. Because I see all these scouting programs and everything, and they give them these grades. And I'm like, how the hell are they able to, like, differentiate between, you know, and put this guy on a pedestal and then put this guy below 
But how do you explain like the O line game and you know all the different you know grading tools when it comes to O line? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, you look at it uh, sometimes. You know, I think that because there's a lack of understanding of really O line play, that sometimes these grading systems can kind of get a little bit. Uh, you know, as I say, it's it's like maybe we're focusing on the wrong part of their game or the wrong part of things that we're emphasizing. They're giving them good or bad grades. They really don't have as much to do with their job as, as you probably could. And so looking at it and evaluating, I think, you know, obviously, you know, guys like yourself and myself that have played the game as long as we can, you, you know what you're looking for to find guys who are quality players. And then I think that sometimes with grading systems, it's hard because they don't they don't put into account like who they're playing, what the situations of the games are, what kind of offense are they playing? Are they even being asked to do things that are difficult? Or are they just full sliding and chipping everybody? And like, are they ever actually having to do like one-on-one block? I mean, there's so many things that go into, I like to use the word exposure. I think that, the, you know, in the NFL, we don't talk enough about like real exposure. Like, you know, what, what, what kind of system, what kind of plays are this or this individual getting asked to run? And are they really ever being exposed to say, all right, look, you're really on an island or you're really blocking these guys by yourself? Because I think that matters. I mean, you you play a, a Nick Bosa as a left tackle, you know, compared to somebody else, like it matters. If you go through that game and shut him down, like that's a bigger that's there's no way that that's an even score with taking on some rookie who doesn't know how to rush. Like, and right now in grading systems, mm-hmm. Most O-line grading systems, there's no positive to like stopping significant players or anything. It's just a flat grade for pass protection. And so that means if I get three people that help me and I face Nick Bosa by myself or whoever you want, Miles Garrett or whoever you want, like we get the same grade, like that makes no sense, right? So it's unfortunate to me that it's not as hard as people make it out to be. You could take some guys and get a clear understanding of what you're being asked and have a much better grading system, that's for sure. But also that you know there's a if you take, you know, certain grading systems, I don't want to call any of them out too much, but like in run blocking, you actually get positives <laughs> and negatives. Yeah. Like but in pass protection you don't. So all right, so then theoretically, if I play on a team that runs it more than they throw it, I already have a better grade. Like that doesn't make any sense. Like that now you're just saying what team I'm on dictates what my grades will be. Like it's just stuff that's like completely irrational. Like I don't even understand the idea. Like why defend that? It's just not right. So, you know, I think that to me it's it's tough. You gotta trust your eyes, you gotta know what you're looking at. And and honestly, it's it comes down to there's just a lack of understanding what they're asked. And and you know this, but you know, a lot of guys don't. I think guys that play D-line and O-line, you know, you're you're in the midst of the game. Like, you, if anybody has to have a clear understanding of what quarterbacks are doing, what running backs are doing, what, what the secondary is doing, the receivers, tight ends, I mean, guys in the trenches have to know a lot to understand what their job is and where they should be. You know, we'll go on calls, like, you know, and, and do stuff like me, Rich, Sherm, and, and Ryan, and, like, not one media person asked me a question because they just – they think, like, O-line only – I only know, like – well, if it's third and eight, like how do you block Nick Bosa or how do you block Miles Garrett? And it's like, all right, like you could ask me questions about defense and offense. I, I can answer them with anybody. I guarantee you. Like, it's just funny though, but that's their perception. They don't know that we know anything other than to how to just grunt and growl and sweat on each other. And uh, that's it. That's all they think we know, right? And so it's fun to be in this world yeah. and be able to expose people to what you understand. Yeah, you know, it's funny you bring that up because there's there's one thing I have a pet peeve with. You know, I'll get a minus for seeing a double in a passing game, but then I don't really rush. I'm getting my hands up because it's rhythm passing and it's quick passing. And so in the grand scheme of things, I'm helping my team because I'm getting my hands up, but it's looked at I'm not rushing. Exactly. And so it's, it's funny how, like, they don't even understand that that side of the ball or that nuance of, of part of the game. Well, yeah. I mean, you look at even O-line play. Like, you, you can get double pluses or, or whatever, a plus for a run play if you sustain a block. Well, if your running back doesn't get past the line of scrimmage, you don't get a chance. Like, so, like, you're, you're putting <laughs> things where guys are getting better grades – based off of the success of other people, not themselves. So it's like, you I don't know how you quantify like somebody's better. If we run this, me and another team run the same exact play and my running back slips and falls down, but mm-hmm. I pancake my guy and 
The other team, their running back stays up, breaks a tackle because somebody else got beat and runs for 90 yards. They get three pluses. Like, it's like, wait a minute. We did the same block. Like, that's the kind of stuff, like, just doesn't make any sense to me. You know, so it's it's got to be, to me, if you're really going to evaluate line play, it's got to have to do with, like, oh, all day. It's got to evaluate the actual individual player and what his job was and what he did. I feel like I could talk about this all day with you. Like, (laughs) but I'll, I'll bring up this. Who who's the dirtiest group, O line or D line? Oh man, I, I, you know what? There's too many meatheads probably in the O line that that you know. I've never been. You know, I, <laughs> here's my thing. I always felt like this game. This is always my deal. If we're in a big game and it gets to four minute offense, okay, and we're trying to keep the football, I'm finishing everybody. Like that's mm-hmm. hey, look, you should have you should have stopped us from getting you in this situation. I'm trying to – everybody's getting some. Like, if I can finish you, I'm finishing you, right? But outside of that, like, it's about me blocking you and you not making the play, and I'm going to do my job to do that. And there's opportunities to finish guys, whatever, like, but never really outside of the frame of the whistles or trying to, you know, hurt somebody. But to me, Mm. you know, I I think O-Lyman, man, it's just one of those positions. You got a lot of meathead guys that just love to take shots and that kind of thing. So I think – I think it determined. I think, you know, probably if you go, like, inside to out, the dirtiest groups, probably those centers and guards. I mean, they're, they're, they love to just take some oh. nasty shots. I mean, it just – you know, I, I think of Ryan Jensen every time I think of this. It's like, man, this dude just every chance he gets. <laughs> you know, and I laugh because it's like, didn't the guys know going into the game, like, this is what he does. Like, this, he's literally just doing this on purpose. Yes. But it's just funny to me. Some of those yes. guys, that's their style. That's their game. I've heard, I've known multiple guys who get upset with Ryan Jensen, and it's like, guys, you got to circle that. That's what he thrives off. He wants yep. you to react. You know, he, like, that's part of his game. And yep. the best thing you can do is just ignore it and just beat him on the scoreboard because then I know that gets under Jensen's skin. Oh, 100%. You know, the other thing I think is funny is you don't see as many teams like, defend each other in those situations as he used to i can remember like early in our years you know pittsburgh you know Bengals, uh, ravens like all this it's like dude if you touched ray lewis after a play i mean you were going to get jumped on mm-hmm. the football field instantly if your hands yep. were touching him and a play ended like and in pittsburgh no different if you're touching one of those guys you're touching palomalu at the end of a play like you are going to get annihilated by everybody that can get to you immediately <sighs> And you don't, you know, you don't see as much of that now. It's it's a lot of like kind of yeah. guys don't don't really do that as no. much. And I think it's because of how much we've you know brought out the fines and, and tried to change the game a little bit that way. But it is funny. Like I can remember back then, like that wasn't even an option to touch somebody like that. The wrong guy, you'd be uh, you'd be in a tough situation quick. Oh, it's funny you bring that up because I feel like. Um, we were playing the Panthers one year, and Ben was scrambling out of the pocket, which we're not wanting to do with Ben, first of all. So Ben got out of the pocket, and you know I think uh, it might have been Eric Reed coming down, and he just touched Ben, and you saw Pounce just race over. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Marquise doesn't play when you touch Ben. Like, yep. that is his number one job in protecting Ben. So we knew whatever happens, those are the bodyguards. They're going to protect yep. their guys. And, you know, you, you, you think you would see that more and more of the protection, but sometimes you look at these guys, you're like, oh, you're just going to let that happen? Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. It's the best time of year. Football season is in full swing. Basketball and hockey have returned, and nothing beats seeing your favorite team live. Make up for lost time and go enjoy a game. Vivid Seats, the official ticket partner of ESPN, is offering you $10 off your first $100 ticket purchase with code NJF. That's code NJF. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats, life happens live. Let's talk about offensive linemen play. Um... How tough is it to be an offensive tackle in this this game today? You know, I think it's it's different. I think certain teams, obviously, there's there's uh, different levels of exposure that you're going to get depending on what the system is. I mean, you know, I think the toughest part really right now that you're seeing is that the college game has become so different from the pro game that some of the things these O-linemen are asked to do when they get mm. to the NFL are just so different from what they did in college. I mean – sustaining long play actions, you know, some of these 
shotgun plays where you're dropping seven steps and you're sitting back there trying to hit deep routes, you know, deep crosses, different things like that. Like it's just, it's, it's not the sustain level is not like that in college. So I think that, you know, the biggest problem right now the tackle position, especially is that a lot of these young college players just haven't played that kind of football and, and only certain ones that are maybe in a system that's similar to the NFL, you know, have a little bit of a jump start on other guys. And so I think that's one of the bigger challenges right now because the era of having like three, four, five really good left tackles come in a draft, uh, you just hadn't seen it like it's been before. And so I think you've seen more teams actually find them later in the draft, kind of a surprise guy that you didn't even know because the college tape's just hard to really know who's good and who's not in some of these situations. But I think the biggest challenge right now in the game for for tackles is that – you know, the shotgun has become such a prevalent thing. I mean, that's all teams want to do now is get back there and try and get in the shotgun and run plays. And outside of some of the really good coordinators, you know, in the league, like Andy Reid and some of these guys that move the spot and content, continuously put you in a situation where you don't get to just straight rush all the time. Uh, you play in one of these teams that likes to just sit back there and throw it and gives the defensive lineman an immediate, hey, we know where the quarterback's standing. Uh, that that gives them a chance to tee off. And I think that's the thing that makes it challenging. And not only that, but the athleticism and just, you know, at the progression of the game, man, it's just these guys, these rushers are unbelievable. I can remember a time when it was like, hey, you could circle the six games during the year that, like, I'm going to face, oh, man, this these six weeks I'm going to face a dog. And now it's like every team has some guy that you're like, wow, okay, yeah. this dude, he may not be great against the run, but wow, he's got some special pass rush moves or, you know, this guy's an unbelievable player in all phases. So it's, uh, it just seems to be that th- that position on the edges is getting better and better over time. Yeah, definitely. Um, one thing I want to bring out, um, and I notice, you know, you look at Lane Johnson and he started off at quarterback, then went to tight end and then finished up a tackle. Is this right? You were a tight end going from high school to college? Yeah, I was a high school, I was a tight end as well. Okay. Yeah, so. And so Yeah, like understanding that like do they always want is that becoming more prevalent seeing the athletic side of, you know, tackles getting them at different positions and then plugging them in and, you know, almost turning them into tackles? Yeah, I think you look at the tackle position, you're, you're going to see more and more guys that are a little more, I always call them like power forwards in basketball. I mean, you know, they're, they're guys that uh, can play in the paint, but they're, they're also got some athleticism to them and, and length and those kind of things. I mean, Lane and I are similar in that way that, you know, really, really long arms and our builds are, are a little more uh, different than your average, you know, old lineman. And so, uh, I was always kind of a leaner guy, you know, when I started playing tackle. And I think to me, you know, it's just it's the the arm length obviously is a huge factor, but the athleticism of being able to move your feet um, and stay in front of some of these guys. Because at the end of the day, like that's really what you're doing. And when you're pass protecting in the NFL, you're you're playing defense in the paint. I mean, you're you're trying to move your feet, you know, keep people from being able to get to the ball, you know, to the rack and and to the quarterback. And so it's it's about being able to move your feet, use your length. And, uh, you know, sustain some of these guys. You'll find a rare guy here or there with a good bull rush. But it's not as prevalent as it used to be. I mean, I, I can remember when you faced James Harrison and Terrell Suggs, like I'm trying to eat 15 meals a day to figure out how heavy I can get because, like, no matter how good of a set I take, they are going to try and <laughs> annihilate me into the quarterback. Like, it ain't got anything to do with whether I can move my feet. It's going to be whether or not my feet can stay in the ground or my head's going to hit it next. So, it, you know, that's the kind of guys you face, but you don't really have that as much. Like there's not many edge rushers nowadays that you're like, oh man, this dude's just bullying people all day. Uh, it's more finesse, you know? And I think that's one of the things mm-hmm. that actually, I brought up his name earlier, but Nick Bosa, one of the things that's kind of different about him is he kind of, to me, is a little bit of a throwback how he rushes to probably the two th- early 2000s and, and even, you know, 2010 era of more true speed to power and bulls and knocking you into the quarterback type rushes. Uh, less of all the other duck unders and ghosts and spins and those kind of things that you see nowadays and the cross chops. Uh, he was mo- he's more of a true power guy. Yeah. So would you prefer the the agile and you know finesse over the you know powerful rushes? Uh, no, I mean, I, for me, how I'm built, you know, I would rather you, uh, engage. So if you engage then I feel like I'm in a good spot just because I, I'm strong enough and long enough that, 
uh, I can hold you off for a pretty good while. Um, but you know, mm. I think, you know, I, but I'll say this, like, you know, some of those stuff, all that is antics. As I tell young linemen when I'm teaching them all the time, it's their job to get to the quarterback, not your job to get back there. So, you know, some of the guys that want to work all the moves and do all, I'm great with that because you look at it, there's a lot of guys that even highlight it all the time of their production, but the reality is a lot of it's pressures or things where I'm like, I don't know if that really affected the quarterback. It looked cool. You got there like the ball was gone, though. But, you know, it's a cool move. But it's like, I don't know that that's really like doing yeah. much. You're not affecting the quarterback. Like, you know, you're bowling a guy into the quarterback. Right. The quarterback can't step up. He can't get the ball out of his hand. He feels that pressure. You know, if you're out on the outside doing all kinds of spins and wicked chops and all this kind of crazy stuff, like, that's cool. But I don't even know if he knows you're there and then the ball is gone. So it works whenever there's a play breaks down and there's nobody open. But I don't know if it helps your team as much as, you know, it really does. Like, I look at a guy like Chandler Jones. I think Chandler's an amazing rusher and has been his career. But, you know, outside of the sack fumbles, I don't know how many times he really affects the quarterback, even though he's a great rusher, because – that angle and going so wide all the time, like the quarterback's able to just step up and throw all, you know, almost the majority of the time. So outside of the few yeah. where he has to hold it, you know, you are getting sack production, but I don't know if that's down in and down out affecting the quarterback as much as you would think it is. Well, one thing, Cam, I want to ask, when you say 15 meals extra, what are those looking like when you play James Harrison and Terrell Suggs exactly? <laughs> well, look, I'm eating 15 meals a day anyways. But, no, I'm, uh, no I, I was just being facetious. But, yeah, no, I mean, you're just eating a lot. You're trying to huh. eat and bulk up and, and be as heavy as you can in those games, you know, just because uh, – not that, you know, in, not in any over-exaggerated you know, exaggerated way, but you, you really, to you, that, that would be your focus. Like, there's certain games where, like, hey – I know this week, like conditioning is going to be really important because this guy's, he gets after it, his energy level, whatever. Or some weeks it's like, hey, being really grounded and heavy, like I'm going to lift a little extra. I want my legs to be a little heavy, a little, you know, I want to feel really strong going into this game. Like, you know, there's just certain ways you would prep yourself based off the guy you're playing, you know, of, of how you really, not necessarily that you're going to make a change, like, hey, I'm not actually going to be heavier or I'm not actually being stronger. But my focus for that week, like this is what I want to feel. Like when I, you know, maybe it's more bench that week because I know it's a guy that's going to engage a lot. We're going to grapple a lot. So I, I want to just kind of feel strong. when I, I want to feel some weight this week so that when I play him in the game, I'm used to what that's going to feel like. Because to me, that's how, you know, you look at a lot of weightlifting. Like a lot of guys aren't necessarily that much stronger than others. But some guys lift with really heavy weights all the time and some guys don't. And they're just used to feeling that weight. You know what I mean? And so I think to me, it's like some weeks you kind of altered what you wanted to feel or what you wanted to have be the emphasis of the week of, and when you played somebody. No, I love that. I love like you adjusting, you know, because that's your focus. Yeah. Um, you know, where are the biggest changes from transitioning to life after football? I know you're still part of football. I know you're doing media, but uh, for you and your family, what's 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 been the biggest adjustment? I think just little things like, you know, whereas, you know, you know, my wife did such an amazing job when I was playing of really making it just about football. So, I mean, that's all I really had to focus on outside of obviously our time with the kids and that kind of stuff. But all the other stuff was kind of, you know, just she took care of it and never really asked you to do it. I think now it's not necessarily waiting for that, but like finding ways to get engaged in the home and, and make sure that you're on top of like, hey, I, I kind of know the routine. So let me just jump in and do stuff and I don't have to be asked to do it. You know, and, and so I think to me, like adjusting to a little bit of finding yourself in your home again, because in football season, you know, you're so locked in. And then the yeah. off seasons, it's like me and my wife always used to joke, like it'd be at some point in the off season, it's going to be like a knockdown drag out of like, hey, look, like this is my house. I take care of it during football season. Now, all of a sudden you want to be home, like telling me how to do things like always something like that. Right. And so <laughs> we literally like have that conversation. every, And then like now it's like great because. Um, one, like the stress is off her a little bit of worrying about me playing all the time. And then two, like, Hey, I'm happy and I'm home and there's really no stress of like that kind of performance stuff. So, you know, re re kind of finding yourself in your home and, and things that you can do and, and be involved in and kind of create your own ways to be involved. Like this year, you know, in, in typical years, I've just helped like with either my kids sports teams or stuff the girls are doing, 
um, you know, whether it be sports or arts or singing or whatever. And then this year it's kind of been like, I'll coach it or I'll be the person I want to drive, you know, the kids to their stuff, or I want to be the one that takes them and picks them up every day. And I want to, I want to coach certain teams. And, you know, so that kind of stuff, like getting myself involved, like actually locked into their life has been really cool. And then I think there's always a transition from an actual football side of understanding that the game of football is just a big wheel, man. And it keeps churning with you in it or with you out of it. And so, you know, talking to other guys that had retired recently and been out of it, you know, just that emotional strain where you're going to feel like people who you talk to every day, like for the last ever how many years you've been with that organization or been around, like when you get out of the wheel, like you're not going to hear from them. And it's not personal. It's just they're still in the wheel and they're still rolling. And so they don't have necessarily as much time. You're going to hear from them on their breaks or when they have a chance. But you're not going to hear from them. And, and that's a tough thing. It's it's hard to, like, get used to, like, all right, like, it's not that you're not important anymore, but you're not, like, the priority to them. And so it, it kind of is a, an adjustment for guys. And I can see where guys who don't have a plan for when they're retired or don't have a mentality of what they're going to do next or chase next, uh, I can see why it's a struggle because you do kind of start to feel isolated and you start to feel like, man, you know, I was so important to all these different things and and you know, little dumb things like a guy leaning on me about his, you know, how does he set up a bank account or how does he like get a new house or like just other things that you're used to just like, man, I'm used to guys leaning on me a little bit. And now it's like all of a sudden your phone's just like, man, is this thing working? You know, so it's it's a different deal, you know, and, and uh, it but it's been cool, too, because you get to kind of be there for from afar and, and just kind of when they lean. I feel like being a dad to them sometimes now it's like they kind of lean on you when they, something goes bad or something goes wrong, like you're going to hear from them. And it's yeah. like, Hey, I want to talk to you. And you kind of become that parent figure a little bit. <laughs> and so that's, that's kind of more that, you know, you're, you're the person they call you on holidays now. Uh, so, but yeah, it's, it's different, but I think it's one of those things I've really enjoyed. It. I've, I've loved following the game in a different way. Wow. I wasn't ready for the they only call you on the holidays. <laughs> yeah, Get ready, Cam. It's coming. I know it's coming. Starting your own small business can be a total roller coaster. Between all the bumpy twists and turns comes the actual business side of your business, which can really throw you for a loop. Luckily, with QuickBooks, you can manage your business with confidence from the start. So, no matter how bumpy the ride gets, you can always stay on track. New business? No problem. Success starts with Intuit QuickBooks. Learn more at quickbooks.com. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. All right. I know you don't, we, we don't want to take up too much of your time. We have a couple fun questions at the end. Uh, it's our Not Just Football segment that we like to just have some fun with you. Um, why did you go bald head? What made you go to the bald head? All right. So it originally started... When I was in high school, I told you that we were really good. So our, our team, I, before I ever got there, two or three years before I got there, they had started going to the state championship. So I think we went to the state championship, I don't know, I think it was either seven, uh, is it six or seven times in a row. And so before I ever got there, they started tradition. Like if you won the, the uh, semifinal game, everybody mm. had to buzz their head for the state championship. That was like their commitment to winning. So they'd break out the razors. Everybody's getting their heads buzzed, whatever. And so that was their big deal. And so I did it in high school, and it was like, all right, like it ain't bad. But then I went to college, and I just kind of kept it in high school. And then I went to college. I grew it out like my freshman year. And then I used to kind of keep it tight. Like I'd have this guy come cut it and edge me up and stuff. And then all of a sudden I started realizing, like, man, that thing getting back there a little bit. Like, so he took it down (laughs) – he took it down, you know, and then that took bald one time. And I was like, you know what? Like, all right, I got an all right head. So I just started leaving it like that. And yeah. eventually it just kind of stuck. And then I think maybe probably my fifth or sixth year in the NFL, I was like, I'm going to grow it out. And I tried to grow it out and it wasn't nothing growing up there. And I was like, all right, well, 
<laughs> Looks like we stuck like this. This this is what we're gonna have to go with. <laughs> yeah, I did that one time in college, and I was like, I'm never doing it again. I don't have the head for a ball head. So yeah, you, certain people got it. You got to have the frame for it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so give me your top three bald heads of all time. Oh man, that's a good one. Top three. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously this dude, he always gets it. Vin Diesel always wins the bald head awards. You know, I there think it's a go. sham. I think it'd be a revote. Uh, <laughs> you know, only because he's my buddy and we stick together in our bald headness. I got to put Glaze on the list just because he'll be mad at me. And Glazer will call me every day if I don't put him on the list. Uh, so he'll be offended if I don't put him on there. But the next bald head, let me think right now. I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good one. You know, I mean, I mean, Kevin Garnett, he, he, you know, he's, he's a, he's a, he's a domer too. So I'm trying to think of some other bald headed athletes that were really good. I like You're Garnett. Put Jordan up there. Yeah. Michael I mean, Jordan's Jordan, one that comes Jordan, to Jordan's too. definitely Jordan's up there. He's just kind of, a, you know, I mean, him and Garnett are tough for me because they're kind of the skinny guy bald heads. That's not fair. Like you gotta be <laughs> fat to where like you actually, this is all you got. Like, you know, they could grow some hair and still look right. I, you know, we right. can't. You know, us big guys, like, you look weird with hair, without, don't matter. But, uh, yeah, I, I think Shaq? between – I put him up there. Who's you that? Put Shaq, you can put Shaq up there as well? I got to put – you know, if I had to choose between the three, I'd go right. with Shaq when he when he's fully oh. bald. Yeah, you know, early in his career he had a little bit. But uh, old Shaq, fully bald, I, I'd go with him just because he's my LSU brother. So, you know, we got to stick there together. You go. There you go. Okay. All right, so we've seen Jeff Saturday as a head coach now. Would you be willing to be the head coach of the Rams or the Bengals? Oh, man. Uh, you know, here's the thing. You know, I think that uh, I love both places, but it'd be pretty hard right now for anybody to make me an offer that gets me to leave L.A. because I love the weather and the golf. So <laughs> I would choose the Rams just because of that. But uh, I don't see myself taking on one of those roles anytime soon. I'll leave that for Jeff. Uh, I'll help some other guys get there if they want to. But uh, I'll be the biggest promoter of people. Uh, and well, I honestly, like, I, you know, obviously I think it was a – Interesting situation how it happened. I don't think it's the right way it should go about it. But I will say this. I do think, you know, I hope that it leads to more players getting opportunities because I do think it's something in our game today. You know, not necessarily that maybe 20 years ago that's accurate or 30 years ago. I don't know. I can't speak to that. But our game today, what mm -hmm. you have to understand and know and what these players understand and know now to be good, uh, man, any of those guys can coach in a heartbeat. And, and it just be whether it's their passion or something they want to do. So, I would love to see more former players get their op. That's for sure. What would be your first thing you did as a head coach, though? Oh, man. First thing? Well, I, you know, I, I don't know. I think, you know, it depends. I, I think that really to me, uh, you know, I, I think it to me the, the number one thing getting to be in the AFC North as long as I did and something Sean and I have talked about all the time is uh, just that culture of, you know, what it takes to win and the mentality it takes. To me, it's like how do you instill that in your team uh, that physical nature. Because you look, even in the NFL today, you have a lot of teams that splash up as good or bad year after year. But there's a consistency of teams that are competitive throughout the season are built between that mental state and that physicality that they bring to every game, regardless who's on their team talent-wise. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a sustained model of success. And then you add some talent to that. And that's when you see those teams have big, successful years. And so I just think, to me, it's just really how do you instill the mentality and the physicality of a football team that that uh, every week they want to go out and hit people in the mouth and, and play physical football. Okay. Last question. If you were the coach, are you going to be more Belichick with the sweatshirt or are you going to go more of the, the collared look, the more professional uh, look? Oh, there's no doubt. If I'm wearing a hood, if I got a chance to put a hoodie on, unless there's some strict rule, I'm wearing a hoodie. So <laughs> – I, I, I'll say this. I would be, you know, somewhere in that blend in the middle. I'll definitely have the hoodie on. I don't know if I'll be as serious as Belichick because I can't ever get that serious. But uh, I'll definitely rock the hoodie for sure. There's no doubt about that. Okay. Yeah, we definitely see you rocking the hoodie during your analyst reports and everything. You got some style, brother. I got to give you that. Hey, I appreciate it. You know, you got to be you. They say be you. I'm trying to be me. And uh, 
it's fun. You know, it's, it's one of my you know, most fun things every week when it's over is like the tweets or the, you know, the comments I get one way or the other, like either in full support or people who just like want me to die because I'm not wearing a collared <laughs> shirt. And it's like, dude, how does this even possibly matter that much to you? But uh, it's funny, man. It's, it's, it's amazing how much people care about stuff like that. It's, it's been entertaining to, to see. I can't believe you would, they would even debate that. You know, it's a great look. But, uh, Andrew, I want to say thank you so much for coming on. What You have been a pleasure to talk to. You have set the bar very high for a lot of other guests. Um, but, you know, that's our show. Thank you so much for coming on, brother. Hey, I appreciate you, Cam. Yeah, thank you, man. You and Hayden, I appreciate y'all having me on. And uh, it was a lot of fun anytime. All right. Well, that's our show. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time here on Not Just Football. Thank you.